Brendan Marshall is a football player widely known for his achievements in the NFL. I was so lucky to have spent some time with him during my time with the New York Giants, and I learned a lot about him. I learned about his own struggles with adversity, which he shares widely, and is going to share in this great discussion I had with him. So much about uh, finding the great parts in life is about not what happens to us, but how we respond to it. And you're going to learn some amazing ideas and strategies that Brandon's applied to his own life during this discussion. So I hope you enjoy. You know, one of the things about about you um, is that when we were together in the Giants, you know, my job was to lift other people up. But I found that you were someone that was lifting me up. Yeah, um, and, stop and I just, it. What did you say? <laughs> I said, stop it. No, I'm telling you, man. I mean, specifically, when I would give when I would give a talk afterwards, you were one of the guys that stuck around and talked about it with me. And yeah. one of the things that you pointed out was you pointed about the ways in which I didn't even realize that I was trying to to um, represent what I was trying to say. So if I was talking about being positive or or responding to adversity, you would actually point out how I did that in the talk. Yeah, I think you know we don't do enough of. Um, inspiring our leaders, right? And what we do is so hard because we're literally taking on the energy and the emotions and the trauma and even the good stuff, which could feel like it's the same feeling of like the bad stuff, right? Like you got to approach both the same. So, but we take all of that in when we do life with people and definitely when we're trying to lead people. And I find that we don't do a good job of letting people know whether it's you or a head coach, like, man, that was awesome. So I, I think that, you know, we need to go out of our way more to tell people, you know, specifically our leaders, you know, awesome job, great job. Cause we need that feedback. Like the things that we're trying to give people, you know, we also need someone to tell us, you know, uh, Hey, great job. And those words of affirmation go farther because it's like, you know, when you know you hit it and that someone can uh, affirm that it, takes it to a whole nother level. And then also on the other end, we also need someone to tell us like, ah, Fader, man, that, that talk, man, was terrible, right? Because we, it's a process, it's a skill, it's an art. And we're trying to perfect that every single day. So we need someone that can literally tell us, you know, if we're doing good or if, you know, we, 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 we missed the target. I'll spare the, I'll spare the audience the times when you tell me it was terrible. We'll just stick with the times when you tell me it was great. But you know, I think <laughs> I don't think I, I don't think I've ever told you. I think I, I think everybody enjoyed uh, having you in a locker room and with the organization. And and we, I don't know if everybody knows, but you know, you rap. So we'll have to get into that later. But all right, man. If there's time, if you can kick a beat, we'll we'll get into that. I mean, I actually, <laughs> I remember one time at practice that we were rapping, and I think you just looked at me like, "Who is this guy?" <laughs> You're like, "What? What a second here." But, you know, there's so much value in what you said, Brandon. I mean, especially, I think, the part that you were talking about, about assuming that people don't need to hear they're doing a good job. I mean, assuming leaders or other people don't need to hear that. I mean, I think what you're saying is we make that assumption. Like, okay, this guy's confident. This woman, she's doing great. She doesn't need to hear it. But what you're saying is everybody needs to hear. Everybody needs that lift up. Yeah, everyone, man. Like, you know, the star quarterback, the star wide receiver, uh, you, me the president of the United States. Uh, we all need to hear that. A lot of times, you know, our leaders, we know this, we do it naturally and, and intentionally, but nobody does it for us. Like, I want to know when I, when, when, you know, I run our route correctly. I want to know when I handle that situation correctly, because what it's doing is reinforcing that positive 
uh, that positive situation so I can continue to stay right there in that lane and perfect it and even be better the next time. What stops people from giving that positivity? Because we're all capable of it. I mean, you're someone who I remember in the locker room, even when we were losing, you, you remained incredibly positive. Yeah, two things. Uh, one, they don't know. Um, they don't know the importance of it. And two, um, ego and selfishness. Well, I would say two is to say selfishness. Um, you know, uh, we live in a world where uh, now it seems like it's all about me. Social media is telling that, built my brand, built my brand, built your brand, do this, do that for you. Uh, but the reality is we're all interconnected, right? So the way to do life is with each other. And when you understand that, then that's when you can step outside of yourself and lead people, pull people along and inspire people. Yeah. I mean, I think you know, the, the people's ego stops them from so much. And I think the other part of them is not knowing. And for me, also, the part of it is being scared. I think people are scared to do it. It's uncomfortable for people because of the reasons you said, and they get, yeah. they get scared. I think some people, especially if they perceive the person to be better than them or a higher on the hierarchy, they feel also scared that, you know, maybe they're going to get uh, criticized or something for doing that, for being positive yeah. in some way. Yeah. It's like, it's not my job. And I think it's all of our jobs, whether we're walking in a grocery store, giving somebody a compliment, or if you're on a, football team in high school and the pros, you know, and it's yeah. that star player or that coach. I used to do that with our coaches too, right? You know, coach, you know, McAdoo or coach Trustman, um, Lovey Smith, you know, they'll do an amazing job in front of the team. I was like, man, that shit was amazing. Good job. Right. Yeah. Uh, because like they need to hear that, right? Like you're like, man, you put so much into this message and lead and leadership and you're, you stand in front of the team and there is some uncertainty, like, man, where's the guys at with this? Are they listening? Do they hear? Are they receiving it? Um, did I hit the mark? So when you tell them that, you know, I think that, you know, it's always a shock for them. Like, damn, like, I, you know, because not a lot of people do it, but it reinforces that positive behavior in them as well. How you bring that positivity into your day to day life. One of the things that I that I remember, I can't remember if you said it or I read it, but you were talking about, you know, that you're a competitive person. You've always been, you, you know, you it's fueled your career. And but at the same time, one of the things you said, I remember that, you know, you can't compete in marriage. Um, <laughs> and I'm curious, you know, yeah. for me, I'm wondering, how do you bring that into your relationships? Like you have to you have to schedule date night. You have to find time to talk. You have to break up the monotony of living together every single day. And, and that's just, you know, you know, one of the things I learned on our journey, like, man, me and my wife, we got married young and our life was a living hell, man. And this is really where our story started, right? Like 24 years old, she was coming out of a bad relationship. I was coming out of a bad relationship. We didn't deal with that. We didn't even know who we were as individuals. And then we didn't even know what marriage was about. And I had so much going on. And, and literally, you know, we were just hurting each other every single day. And a lot of this stuff, you know, people can Google and, and see like, you know, headlines and tabloids. It, it, it was a, a living hell. And then I found myself at McLean Hospital in an outpatient program for three months, diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. And, you know, I was in self-assessment, mentalization therapy, cognitive behavior therapy, dialectal behavior therapy. Uh, I did a neurological test to see how my brain functioned. I did, uh, you know, uh, an evaluation to see what I was dealing with. And that's where, you know, I would say I got onto this path of enlightenment where I realized that 
you know, I wasn't here to play football. I was here to help bridge the gap in the mental health community. But it took me really embracing that pain and almost losing my wife, almost losing my marriage to, to, to sit down and say, you know what, I need to look in the mirror and figure out what's going on. You know, for people who don't understand borderline personality disorder, it's like emotional disorder. We don't have the, you know, when you when it's out of control in your life, you don't have the skills or tools to be able to self-regulate. Well, you know, actually, let me ask you about that. You know, because here's the thing, you know, so as, as you're talking about, you know, borderline personality disorder, which you describe well, usually is characterized by mood instability, um, by, you know, sort of idealizing people and then kind of taking them down by instable relationships, um, sometimes suicidal thoughts or self-injurious behavior. You know, I have to tell you, you know, we, we've spent a lot of time together over the couple of years or the year that we were together with the Giants. Um, I mean, you, I never saw any of that in any of your relationships. Um, and I, I have to think that's because of certain skills that you learned, yeah. you know, and so I'm curious if you could point to just a couple skills that, you know, people, because really what I, what I, my dream for this show is that people look at you, this guy who's achieved everything in life and also gone through tremendous hardships, but I love them to walk away and say, you know what? I learned from Brendan Marshall, this skill, like this is something that he, yeah. he showed me that, that I could actually use because people are struggling out there as you know, I don't have to tell you. Yeah. So I'm curious, like, what are the, what are like one or two things you learned that you really feel like could help, wow. help people? Well, let's, let's deal with, uh, let's, let's look at the, the therapy that I was in group therapy, mentalization. What is mentalization? You said it, right? Like you idolize somebody one minute and then the next minute you break somebody down. It's black and white thinking. So mentalization, it helps you process the situation and see different perspectives and different viewpoints, right? So I think when we're in a situation, I think we need to approach people in situations with more curiosity. You know, instead of us, you know, processing it super quick and then saying, OK, I know exactly what you meant. You tried to hurt me or, you know, and, and then you react off of that instead of responding. So mentalization slows that process down so you can see, well, you know, I heard what they said, but, you know, maybe it was this and maybe it was that. So it helps. It kind of molds your behavior after um, dialectical behavior, behavior therapy. Um, there's so many skills there, radical acceptance. There might be a lot of people out there struggling in relationships. We may be struggling at work. We may be struggling to make that decision. And it really radical acceptance is really, you know, you can even make the situation better. You can make it worse or it can stay the same. So accepting what is and, and really, you know, being strong in that, in, in that decision so you can process, like, do I want to stay in this situation or do I want it to be worse, which we none of us do, or do I want it better? Um, so that's that's one of the things. And I think, you know, we get caught up in go, 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 go in this rat race of life, life and we, we're never pre present. The most powerful place we can be is in the present, you know, and, and we don't we don't take time to do that. So I think a lot of people should tap into no matter what end of the spectrum you're on, should tap into mindfulness and, and meditation, um, you know, but like things that I use practically like every day. Um, man, um, you know, I'm really intentional on talk therapy when I need it. Also meditation. So I work both ends of the spectrum. You know, uh, my life is kind of hectic. I have a lot going on. So I try to I know that you and I were holding ourselves, we were holding each other accountable for meditation. I don't know if you remember. That's right. <laughs> we were texting every day right. and asking each other every day, did you get it in? That's right. right. That's I mean, right. actually, you know, it's like even something as simple as that is so helpful. But you, I mean, you just dropped so much 
That's so helpful yeah. for people. I mean, there was like, that's enough for three conversations. But the first <laughs> thing you said, seriously, the first thing you said about mentalization, just the idea that we tell ourselves stories about other people and to check those stories, you know, and, and really ask ourselves, am I telling myself a story about this person or is this really how they felt or what's going on for them? And also the idea I think is so powerful of just learning how to self-regulate and stop and say, I'm, I don't have to react, right? I can learn how to respond to take the time. Um, I think is just a super powerful thing. You know, uh, how did you come to appreciate mindfulness and how, and how do you use it day to day? You like, what is your practice right now in terms of mindfulness and meditation? Uh, well, um, my life was a living hell. And when I was introduced to mindfulness and, um, and, and meditation radically, things start transforming. I was then able to kind of control the situation and my thoughts and my behavior. And I wasn't, I wasn't able to do that before. So that's when I started embracing it. And then obviously, you know, there's no right or wrong way to do it. It really is just, just trying, right? And it's like a muscle, you get stronger and stronger. You know, one of the first things I do in the morning, um, I'll note, I, there's a meditation called noting you know, where I just literally sit with the thoughts that's coming up. Um, I practice mindfulness where I'm driving, roll down the window, feel the breeze, take off the sunglasses, look at the, the shade in the sky and the sun, the sunlight, you know, so really sitting in that moment and being present. And another cool thing that I do is gazing where I light a, can, a candle and I'll just focus on that spot and whatever, whatever comes up, I just let it go. So there's a, a few things that I do. And then also yoga is a, uh, uh, um, I wouldn't say it's a big part of my practice, but it's something I do on Wednesdays. And um, that really helps a lot as well. You have this tremendous essay in the Players' Tribune. I thought it was super powerful, um, knowing you personally, but just anyone who's interested in understanding how to overcome adversity. And in that, you share uh, a tremendous quote from your uh, journal. I just wanted to read it uh, because I think it impacted me two years ago and it impacts me still when I read it. This is what you said. Uh, my pain and sadness give me my strength. My strength ruins my mind, body, and soul. I've been trapped all my life, not by man or cages, but by my own emotions. Where I've been by traveling inside myself can be summed up by one word, damn. Pain manifests itself into peace and growth. Only when you deal with the root of it right away. When you hear that now, with all you accomplished, what, what how, how do you think about that? Um, yeah, it it it, uh, it holds me accountable. Um, I, I mean, it's powerful because let me let me go back. Wow. So when it, when I was at McLean Hospital and I was going through that three month program, what I would do is after I would get to the root of something or felt like the root of something, figuring something out with my one-on-one with Dr. the great Dr. Gunderson, I will actually write a metaphor because it was one of the most phenomenal experiences I've ever felt. Like I never knew that I dealt with resentment. I never knew that I was isolating myself. I didn't know that I was dealing with depression. I didn't know these things. I just thought this was who I was. You know, I didn't know there was another side. I didn't know I could smile. I didn't know I could enjoy being around people. So when we actually got to the root of these things and figuring out why I thought the way I thought or behaved the way I behaved, I would write a metaphor. And, and in that moment, I realized, like, damn, like, 
you know, it's, it's like, it's tough because these things that make me great is the same things that's ruining me, right? Like this beast, this monster on the field. But then when I'm out in the streets, right, if someone, you know, road rage, you know, it's like, it's that same mentality. It's like, no, it's cool on the field in certain aspects. But when, when you get off that field, you turn that switch off and you need to start being curious, right? Like you get paid to do that and people glorify that. But that don't work in relationships. That don't work on the road. You know, we all deal with something. And, and, and really, it's about uh, being able to control your own emotions and control what you can control. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what it's about, right? Make the situation better, stay the same, or make it worse. And, and for me, I didn't have those skills naturally. Um, and I honestly, I didn't even know it was wrong, to be honest, because where I come from, that behavior, you know, that's, that's normal. It's not deviant. You know, that's celebrated. So this show really is about finding the great parts in life. There are lots of things that aren't great, right? And one of the things that I think about a lot is I think to really be great in our time and our situation, it really means paying attention to social justice um, and specifically to how black people are treated in our country. And I'm curious about your thoughts of that for people that are listening. You know, what, what, what can people do from your perspective to be empowered and empowered others in addressing these issues of social injustice? Yeah, listen, I think that's it. Um, I, you know, I was, I used to train out in Oakland, New Jersey with um, a phenomenal trainer. He's a friend, a really good friend, and he's a white guy. And uh, we were you have other white friends beside me. (laughs) I do. I grew up with, you know, everybody. You know, we got into a conversation and he wouldn't listen, uh, you know, because he come from an, he came, he comes from an area where there wasn't the, uh, my, minorities or wasn't black people there. And he couldn't understand, you know, police brutality. He couldn't understand our interaction with police and our experiences. And, you know, it's because he didn't experience that. He's like, ah, I don't, I don't get it. I don't know. And I was like, well, if you, listen and actually um stop approaching it from your perspective and your upbringing you may be able to be empathetic you may be able to actually help but he couldn't do it because he felt like you know the way he was brought up and the way uh, his neighborhood is formed that you know there was no issues and I think that's the biggest problem is that we're not willing to have those conversations and listen. I grew up on both sides of the track in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. It was the poorest city in all of Pennsylvania. And there was one white family. Then we moved down to uh, South Florida, Orlando, Florida, Seminole County, where Trayvon Martin's life was taken from him. We were one of five black families in our neighborhood, in our school. And I was able to see the difference. And, you know, so I, it's interesting because I'm actually... I can see why we have these issues in, you know, the neighborhoods like Seminole County. And then at my, in my neighborhoods in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where there's only one white family, like I saw both sides of it. So, you know, I'm able to sit down with, you know, Nick Mangold's of the world, the Eli Mannings of the world and relate to them and talk to them about my experiences that runs rampant through the black community. And, you know, what I find is some guys tune it out 
and some guys actually listen and 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 I think that's where it starts by conversation. If it doesn't fit their their story of what's happening, they kind of stop listening. And I, I think it also goes back to the really insightful comments you had before about ego and about being afraid, um, you know, to be in a position where you're really going to listen, being able to be uncomfortable um, and, you know, listen to things that may make you feel uncomfortable about the way you see the world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's simple. It's like, you know, if your brother says that he was just slapped in the face and punched in the face, listen to him, you know, help him out if you can. That's it. That's powerful. Um, You know, the, the, the other thing I just wanted to ask you is just, you know, I'm a big believer, as you know, from my book, Life is Sport, that, you know, people can both work to perform at a high level and also work to be present in their lives and find joy in their lives. I don't think those things are mutually exclusive. I think sometimes we think, oh, I have to be, you know, fiercely competitive at all times. And if I just let up a little bit to smell the roses and feel my life, I'm going to somehow get set back. And I'm, I'm curious in your life what you do or how you find joy. Yeah. You know, I, I really find joy in um, understanding my purpose and, and walking in my purpose. You know, I know who I am as a father. I know who I am as a husband. I know what I need to be in those areas as well, because it's not like, you know, it's it's you're ever you're you ever making you're perfect. That's always a, a, a journey. And then I also know my place on earth, and that's to help bridge the gap in the mental health community. So, you know, I I, I agree with you, um, and, you know, in, in that approach, but it's really for me, it's understanding my purpose and walking in it. So like every single day, you know, I don't feel like I'm working, you know, the way I operate at home, the way I operate, operate at work, it's all the same to me. You know, I just love on people and try to uh, be the best person for the people around me. So, you know, the biggest thing, the thing I would leave everyone with is like really understanding your purpose. Cause when you do that, you know, it's, you know, it's, there's no toil in that, right? There's no, oh, I got to grind that American, that American philosophy. I got to grind. I got to grind. I got to work. I got to work. No, it's just like, you're just making the world better. What's the, what's the first path you think to helping them find their purpose? If you don't know, um, and you don't know where to look, you can probably start by um, tapping into your pain. A lot of times your purpose is in your pain. The thing that gives you the most toil, the thing that keeps you up at night is the thing that, you know, probably God wants to, where he wants to use you. You know, like I can't, it's, I can't go into the, I can't go into the hood and talk to someone about not selling drugs. I've never been in that situation. I can't talk to a single parent that had a kid at 15. Um, about, you know, what they needed to do and, 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 and give them a shoulder to cry on because I never really, I can't, I, I never been there. Now, I, there is things I can do. And it's the same thing with me and mental health. I feel like I'm more powerful than a doctor because I actually, it's a lived experience. So I think, you know, embracing your pain is where you can probably find your purpose. Amen to that. Thanks for making Thanks, the man. time, man. So great to see you. All right, bro. It was a lift. Please. It was up. It was an uplift like it was back in 2018 or whenever yeah, that was. For right. vitamin, vitamin B. <laughs> All right. Later, bro. Peace. So inspiring to talk to Brandon. It's always inspiring to talk to him, whether it was 
in person when I was with the New York Giants and even over this phone call, um, you know, just hearing about the way that he interprets the world, this deep sense of optimism and positivity, not, you know, this kind of positivity that acknowledges hardship and adversity. In fact, he talks very clearly in our discussion about how he overcome, overcame so much adversity um, in his life. I, I think that you know, the way that he talks about specifically these strategies as he uses are really powerful, especially just this idea, though, just about choosing to be to affirm and point out the positive in other people. We make this assumption that other people don't need that positivity. They don't need to be called out on the things that they're doing right. But actually, that kind of positive reinforcement is the most powerful thing you can do to help people change and that everybody needs it. We all need it. I love the the way that he talks about family and this idea of of date night. Um, I think we spend so much time, I know we do, from the people I coach, spend so much time planning and being creative about our professional lives, but we don't put aside that level of creativity and planning and scheduling for our personal lives, for our relationships with our partners, our wives, husbands, significant others, with our kids. And so this idea of having this date night, I have a date night that I, I do with my wife. We've done it for 14 years now. And having that protected time, I really feel like has contributed to the kind of love and connection that we thankfully have. At the end of the day, I think one of the core elements, though, that Brendan talked about was about this idea that he called mentalization. This idea that we all tell ourselves stories about other people, what other people think, how they feel about us, and these stories bother us, and that we can really be helped by actually thinking and asking ourselves questions. Huh, when someone behaves towards me in a way I don't like, what's going on for them? What might be happening for them? Rather than to lash out in anger or just judge them mentally, which is what we all do naturally, is to think, okay, like what's what's happening for them? And by doing that, by figuring out what led them to act that way, by being curious, or as the, the football coach Urban Mayer says, when you're furious, get curious. By getting curious about them, we change our perspective. And I think that can help in, in all kinds of relationships, both professionally and personally. It was a delight to call from Brand. I'm, I'm thankful he didn't make me on the spot freestyle rap, although that might happen. I can't I have to warn you in a future discussion. So I hope you really enjoyed that interview and you should check out Brendan's work that he's doing in Project 365 uh, and House of Athlete. We have a lot of great content in this season. So check it out. We have an interview with Ryan Holiday, who writes about stoicism and Annie Duke, um, the professional poker player who has many really interesting books out there about decision making and the legend, John Bon Jovi. So take a look at the other videos and don't forget to go ahead and subscribe and we'll see you in the next episode.